0: They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster in case of being a you know a victim of this drug shortage Jace Medical will have you covered all you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code shameless at checkout for a discount on your order that's promo code shameless at jacemedical j a s e medical.com jacemedical.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 225. Show notes for this episode, including all links mentioned, and any discount codes connected to our sponsors can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 225. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. This episode of the Shameless Mom Academy is brought to you by ButcherBox. For grass-fed beef, organic chicken, and heritage-breed pork delivered right to your door, go to butcherbox.com slash shameless, and use the code shameless at checkout to get free bacon and $20 off your first box. Hello, shameless moms. So happy to be here with you. I'm recording this a few days in advance of it going live as usual, and my house is being painted. So, you know, I thought I should wait till like there's a perfect time with the painters doing their things so like we won't have disruption and there won't be background noise. But then I decided that's silly. Like, it's silly to pretend that I'm perfectionistic about this because that's the old me. I spent the first 20 years of my life being really perfectionistic, and the last 22 years, not so much. So, you might hear some ladders clanging and that kind of background noise. I was laughing. I was on an interview doing someone else's podcast earlier this week, and they were talking about how they could edit out like any imperfections. And I was like, oh, please don't bother. <laughs> I'm not about presenting as perfect. And I don't care if a dog's barking in the background. And like, that's just about like shamelessly, unapologetically getting the stuff done that needs to get done. And it doesn't need to be perfect or pretty because sometimes it just. It can be messy and that's okay. It can be a high quality mess. Like I can deliver you an awesome podcast that is a little messy with a dog barking in the background and maybe some ladders clanging and you can still get a ton of value out of it. And so that's a lesson for me to get used to that and adjust to that literally over the course of 22 years. And it's a lesson for you to not wait to take perfect action because if you take imperfect action, you can still really, really enhance and impact your life and the lives of people around you. So that's my PSA for the day. That sounded like I really practiced it, I think. And I really didn't. It was just flying by the seat of my pants. But anyways, if you hear background noise, that's what it is. I'm really excited about today's episode because I got this email and it actually, I got this email while I was in Mexico and I could see emails coming in. And sometimes when I see a bunch of stuff related to like one topic coming in, I try to just wait until I can sit down and read all through all of them at one time. So I saw this email come in. And I was like, Oh, that's going to be really interesting. It was someone writing to me about the podcast. So I kind of just filed it away. And I didn't open it until about a week or so later. And then I opened it. And I was like, this is amazing. And I have to do a whole episode about this email. So I frantically emailed Megan, who is one of our shameless mom listeners, a shameless mom herself. And I said, Megan, I got your email. This is Amazing! I am sitting here crying for you, happy tears, proud tears, and I want to share this email with our audience and our listeners and our community. And do I have your permission to do that? And she said yes. So this is for Megan, but it's going to be really helpful to all of you. But I do have to just give Megan a really special thank you for letting me share her story and her situation and her experience. And I think that you will all be cheering for her by the end. So here we go. Dear Sarah, I've been binge listening to your podcast since January, and I just cannot stop. You have a way of getting me pumped up while I listen to your podcast as I get ready for the day, and it's easily one of the best parts of my morning. I'm a mom of two boys, a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old, and I live in Utah. I'm an introvert and typically a quiet person. I'm not sure how big of a topic this is in Seattle, but recently the LDS church, the most prominent church here in Utah, I think about 60% of the population here is Mormon or LDS, has received a ton of slack about enabling and even protecting sexual predators within the church. I was born and raised Mormon, but left the church almost three years ago after 25 years. Yesterday, I participated in a march in downtown Salt Lake City, where the LDS headquarters are located, to protest one-on-one interviews the bishops have with kids behind closed doors, often asking the kids sexually explicit questions. This obviously gives predators easy access to vulnerable kids and also grooms kids for sexual abuse. We marched to the LDS church office building and delivered a petition signed by over 55,000 people to stop the interviews and also over 900 stories of abuse that have happened within the LDS church. The march was absolutely incredible, full of love and so empowering and uplifting. I was on a high the entire day. It was magical. Tonight, I was at my parents' house with a few of my siblings and their spouses. They are all still devout Mormons, and my brother, also Mormon, who was with my dad, cracked a joke about me protesting yesterday and asked if I was going to protest a small change the church had made tonight during their general conference. I thought to myself, ah, hell no. And I walked over to them and confidently said, actually, I was protesting abuse. My dad and I promptly started debating our very different opinions about abuse in the church. I stumbled over my words and was tearing up throughout, but I was able to back up my claims, confidently express my opinions and keep talking louder. When my dad interrupted me, I might've totally cried when it was over because I was so worked up, but I was able to stand up for what I believe in, even though I think the entire room, except for my husband, totally disagreed with me. And I felt so proud of myself. Since listening to your podcast, I've been more willing to stand up for myself. I've been more passionate about the things I believe in and more confident in expressing my truths. Tonight, it got messy and I wasn't able to perfectly or gracefully argue my point, but I feel like I did say what I wanted to say and my voice was strong. I felt like that was a huge accomplishment. You've mentioned your Nasty Woman Manifesto in a few episodes I've listened to. And while I haven't written my own, one part of yours that always stands out to me is to stand up for the underdog. This weekend, I did just that. I marched for kids who have been abused, who haven't had the courage or knowledge of how to tell someone about it. I stood up to and educated people, my family, about why I marched and why it's important. I stood up for the underdog. Thank you for inspiring me and women like me to live bigger, bolder, braver every damn day. A year ago, I don't think I would have marched or stood up to my dad about that. I feel like your podcast has made me stronger, more confident, and more full of love. It has positively impacted how I see myself, how I see the world, and how I see others. So thank you for what you are doing. And if you're interested, you can read about and watch about the march on the Protect LDS Children Facebook page. It has a lot of good videos and helpful links. It's really beautiful. Thank you for being shameless and helping me be shameless too. Sincerely, Megan. So first of all, I am going to put a link to that Facebook page to the Protect the LDS Children Facebook page in the show notes over at shamelessmom.com. If you click on episode 225, you can access that. I think that might be a valuable source for people wanting more information on maybe how to see what's going on and be involved. And now for my little cheering session for Megan. Megan, I'm so, so proud of you. This is such a big deal. Like, let's just be really clear on how hard this is for anyone to do especially in the current climate where things get so heated so quickly and the divisions are deep and they are fueled by generational experiences and by deep-seated beliefs and like old-school ideology it's a really big deal On top of that, for an introvert to take a stand, for an introvert to show up for a march is a big deal. For an introvert to love the march is a big deal. For an introvert to have these really uncomfortable conversations with their family is a big deal. Because when you're an extrovert, not that it's easy or even easier, but you're just more prone to like, you kind of like a little attention and you might like the stage a little bit. An introvert, not so much. Like it takes a lot for an introvert to, really pull themselves out of the background and like not let themselves blend in. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot more kind of consideration in many cases. So I'm just so proud of you, Megan, for doing this. And I love the example that you've set for other moms and how to live more shamelessly. And so I kind of wanted to dive into a little bit of that and talk about how you all can start building your stage. And so I'm going to talk through how you can start building your stage. And then I'm going to talk through some warnings and some things to be looking out for as you build your stage.
1: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with
2: hope, possibility, and joy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. All right.
0: So I don't know if you guys can hear my dog going crazy upstairs, but she is, because like I said, you know, the painter's. So now that I taught you how to build an online presence, an online stage, let's go back to talking how to build a stage around who you want to be, what you want to stand for, what you want to say. So I want to start with one of the biggest things that I did that in the moment was kind of a heat of the moment response, but it's been so valuable for me over time. I've talked about this a couple of times before, but because Megan mentioned it, I wanted to talk about it again and dive into it for a minute. So I, um, in conjunction with the election last year, a year and a half ago, I wrote my own nasty woman manifesto. And when I did that, I was like super fired up and passionate about a number of things at that time that I'm still fired up and passionate about today, maybe even more so. But I was like, I want to have a place for like these beliefs to live. And also, I want to share them and have them kind of in a shareable format. So I did that and I put them in a place where I could share them. I did a whole episode about this. So I'll have that in the show notes as well. But that was episode 69, How to Be a Nasty Woman. And I shared my Nasty Woman Manifesto in there. What ended up happening with that over time is it kind of became my filter and my blueprint. So when I started making decisions around the podcast or around just other things in my life, I was like, oh, well, if I look at my manifesto, I can make a really clear decision around something because I've identified what I stand for. And so then it makes it way easier to decide between option A and option B in a lot of situations. And so it's kind of become my filter when people ask me to do things or ask me what I think about something or ask for a comment or when I want to connect about something or when I want to take a stand on something. Or Sometimes when I don't want to take where I'm like, oh man, it's going to be hard. Like, do I want to go on this march in the wind and the rain? And then I'm like, oh, but remember what you stand for and remember what you committed to in that manifesto. Remember what you identified as the things that you really want to um, have be part of your legacy. So my, NASA yeah, so Women manifesto includes the following, and this is just like, completely the way that I kind of brain dumped it. And so it works for me. I really love it. But this is not the same thing you need to do. You can take as much of this as you want and use it for yourself. And you can also completely flip it around and change it up and like make it something different. So my manifesto has 15 points. Yours might have three. My manifesto is just like quick little phrases. Yours might be paragraphs. So it can look, like I said, like a million different things. But here's mine. Stand for women. Stand for children. Stand up to bullies. Take the high road where there is not a path create one. When you listen truly hear. Share. Fight for the underdog. Don't back down. Work for the greater good. Connect. Do not fear your enemy. Challenge the status quo. Empower the powerless and pay your fair share. So those are my 15 points. Really simple, right? And so now when faced with decisions I'm like, okay, like how do these options hold up to my manifesto? And it becomes Way easier to decide if I'm going to do something or or have some rationale behind what I'm going to do. So, my first recommendation for you when you are trying to build your stage, I think the first thing you need to do is determine and define and decide what you stand for. So, in that process of deciding, it will become easier to define it. And I think that you need to write it down somewhere. It needs to be a document and it can be in a Word doc, it can be in the notes on your phone, it can be written on a napkin, it can be like I guess I shouldn't say it could only be written because it could also be like something that you verbally record into your phone, but it needs to be something that is documented in a way where you can return to it. I like the idea of it being visual so that you can go back to it and you can get like repeated um, exposure to it. So I love the idea. Many of you have seen where I had mine put, I went to Fiverr.com. That's F-I-V-E-R-R.com. And you can have people just put together little graphics for you there. And so I went to Fiverr and I gave someone my, an artist, my list. And I was like, Hey, can you like make this list pretty? And they did that for me. So you can have someone do that. And then you can have this little PDF that you can hang up and for like 10 bucks and then you can hang it in your office or hang it in your bathroom or wherever. So you can see it all the time, which I think is really impactful to be able to like be repeatedly exposed to the things that you think, to remind you that like, oh yes, this is what I stand for. This is how I stand for it. So that's the first part of building your stage. Decide what you stand for. Write your manifesto, even if it's on a crumpled up napkin. The next piece is practicing taking small, uncomfortable actions, small, uncomfortable action steps. So what this looks like is is doing the little things that might feel a little awkward at first. I know that this is something I've really been practicing this winter. As often as I can, when I see a homeless person sitting outside of a grocery store, I will ask them if I can bring them a cup of coffee when I'm done shopping. Or I'll ask them if there's any food that they need, if they want a sandwich or if they want, you know, or if I don't see them before I go in the store. When I leave the store, if I have extra food, like so let's say I got bananas and I'll be like, hey, would you like two bananas? Or would you like an apple? Or can I give you this thing a peanut butter? So the first couple times I did that it felt super weird. The first time I said to someone like, "Hey, I'm going in the store for a minute. Can I bring you a cup of coffee when I come back?" I was like, please let them say something nice. Like I was worried. I was like, this might be really awkward. And the man was like, oh, that would be so nice. Like, it was this really cold, gross day. He was like, that would be really great. And then when I brought it out, he was so thankful. And then I did it recently with Vinny, the same thing. I think this is a particularly cool thing to do with kids. And when we went in, I told Vinny, like, we picked up our few items that we needed. And then we got the coffee and then Vinny was like, well, can we take him a cookie? And this was really cool because <laughs> there were these cookies. There was like all these humongous cookies the size of Vinny's head. And uh, I was like, you can pick out a cookie for him, but you're not getting a cookie. And he was like, okay. And so like, we picked out this big, huge chocolate chip cookie, and we took him his cookie and his coffee. And he was so gracious. And Vinny thought it was really cool. And it was like a very cool experience for us to have together. So those kinds of small and comfortable actions where you're standing up for someone, maybe standing up for an underdog, standing up for someone who you know, is maybe feeling a little powerless. That would be, I mean, I would say in that situation specifically, it's standing up for the underdog. It's empowering the powerless. You know, if he's sitting there with his little sign, he's probably feeling a little powerless compared to the people who come in and out with their bags and bags of groceries. So, starting to take those little uncomfortable actions, helping someone maybe that other people wouldn't help, making eye contact or having conversations maybe with people who that other people wouldn't. I read this beautiful story yesterday online of a man who is going through a cancer battle right now, a husband of one of my old gym clients, and he's really doing this like whole pay it forward movement. And he's doing it in this online community on Facebook group. And he talked about giving food to someone outside of Whole Foods the other day after he was on grocery shopping, and then asking the guy if he could give him a hug. And the homeless man was like, kind of taken aback. And then he was like, yeah. And he like stood up and gave him a hug. And the guy said, it was like human touch for a homeless person is a big deal. And like, you wouldn't want to just do that without asking permission, because that's a pretty intimate boundary. But think about how probably infrequent many of them how infrequently they experience human touch. When you research some of the challenges of homeless people. And there's this whole conversation about them being invisible because we don't make eye contact. We don't talk to them. We don't touch them. And there is this definite sense of invisibility. And so something like that, like breaking that boundary of having a conversation, giving someone a hug. And he had a conversation with this guy as well. He didn't just like dive in for the hug. He had a conversation with him first. So those kinds of things I think are really great. Going to a march, like going to a march for the first time, the first march I went to, I was super nervous. I was like, what is this going to be like? What if it gets violent? What if it's just like uncomfortable? And I just didn't know what to expect. So taking those small, uncomfortable steps, is the starting point where you don't necessarily have to be like, you know, one person singled out on a figurative stage in front of a bunch of people. Megan was definitely on a pretty big stage when she was in this household of people and only had one person out of a group of people on her side. So that's definitely a bigger action the next piece of taking small, uncomfortable actions might be asking uncomfortable questions. And so not necessarily like getting defensive about something or really like diving into a really uncomfortable topic, but just asking some uncomfortable questions. So when something does come up, you know, Megan's example of her family conversation is a great example. When people in your family are having conversations and some of the belief systems are, you know, varied to ask uncomfortable questions. And it doesn't, so it doesn't have to be a confrontational thing like, well, I don't believe this. And here's what I think, blah, blah. But just to say like, oh, can you explain To me a little bit more about that or tell me a little bit more about why you think that or how that relates to your experiences or just like being curious. That's a really way to start taking uncomfortable action is just being curious. That's a lot better than like, I want to dive into this big topic and like make everyone really uncomfortable. And then you might be really uncomfortable and hysterical too. There might be a time and a place for that, but you can also build up to that. Gently suggesting that like, oh, hmm, the way I see it is blah, blah, blah. Or in my experience, it's been this. And I talked about that in the recent episode, Seven Phrases of Freedom, for you to use that line. In my experience, it's been blah, blah, blah. So you don't need to negate someone else's experience, but you can just say like, oh, in my experience, it's been this, or I have not experienced that. And this is a really great one to use when people are saying things, you know, this is one that I have heard of so much in the fitness industry is, you know, there's so many assumptions that people who are overweight are lazy. I can tell you in my experience, none of the overweight people that I've worked with, but I would classify as lazy people. So there's a million reasons why people might be overweight. But in my experience, laziness has not been one of the predominant reasons at all. So when I hear that come up, I can say, oh, in my experience in the fitness industry for 16 years, I have actually not found that to be even like a slightly prominent issue among people who are overweight. So there's that piece as well. The next part would be openly practicing empathy. And so the nice thing about this is when people see you openly practicing empathy, they start to see that you are like kind of on a mission. And what you can do with this is it kind of brings together the being curious piece asking uncomfortable questions and gently suggesting that you see things in a different way. So you can let people know. So when you're openly practicing empathy, when you're in these situations, you know, you could like, let's use Megan's example, openly practicing empathy. When you're talking about children in the LDS church would be, you know, I can't imagine what it's like for these young adults who have been raised in this church, who've been victimized. And I can't imagine what that's like. And I just think about, you know, as a parent myself, What would it be like if I had gone through that as a child? If I had been sexually abused by someone in an authority position as an eight-year-old little boy by someone in my church, what would that be like for me when I became a parent later in life? And as a parent now, I can't imagine what that would feel like. I can't imagine how protective I would feel of my kids if I had experienced that. And I can't imagine how traumatic that would be like, always having that inside of me. So that's a way right there to practice empathy in a situation where people have differing opinions. And for you to show like, I'm not necessarily taking a side to say one group is right and one group is wrong. What I want to do is practice empathy that these kids, like there's some kids who've suffered really traumatic experiences. I wonder what's that been like for them. I wonder, you know, How would I feel if I was a parent of one of those kids and I found out? And so practicing empathy can be a way to kind of segue into these conversations and open the door to suggesting someone else's experience is valid and then having conversation around that. So there's four steps to how to start building your own stage. So deciding what you want to stand for, practicing small, uncomfortable actions, gently suggesting that you see things in a different way, and then openly practicing empathy. And all of those things are things that are going to like, as you develop them, they're going to impact in all other areas of your life. They're going to make you stronger and more powerful and more capable in so many other settings. Like when you're doing this in uncomfortable family conversations at Sunday dinner, It's also really gonna help when you have uncomfortable conversations in the workplace, right? So there's actually a lot of carryover. So figure out like where's the best place for you to start having these conversations. Maybe the most comfortable place is at work where you can be empathetic about a coworker's experience. Wow, you know, it must be really hard for Jane because of the demands of that position and there's so much involved and she has so many people asking her for so many, you know, time sensitive demands all the time. Like that must feel really overwhelming. That's a way to openly practice empathy without saying like, yeah, Jane's boss is kind of a jerk. And he like never cuts her a break. And poor Jane is like overworked and underpaid. So openly practicing empathy kind of opens the door to suggesting maybe there's a different way to see this. And maybe there's a way that we could like, you know, maybe we could all support Jane a little bit. What I wanna touch on lastly here is some warnings around what happens when you're building your own stage. When you are building your own stage, here's some things that are gonna happen that I want you to know to look out for because then when they happen, you're like, oh yeah, this is like what Sarah said would happen and this is just normal. This is part of what happens. And some of this Megan really clearly articulated happening to her in her experience of building her stage and standing on that stage. So first of all, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be uncomfortable. Your voice and your knees will probably shake. You very well might be emotional. I am one who cries if I'm angry, sad, happy, like everything makes me cry. And so just know that if you're like an emotionally charged person, chances are you're going to cry. It might be exhilarating. You may or may not be supported by the other people in the same space as you. And so like Megan said in her experience that her husband was on board with her, but no one else in the house was. And that feels pretty darn vulnerable. Know that it will take practice, but with practice, it will get easier and know that you will build confidence. And as you build that confidence, you're also going to feel a new sense of power. And these key components are so huge. So It will be uncomfortable at first. It will feel ridiculously uncomfortable. It will be scary. It will be intimidating. And that's why I suggest, especially if you're in a situation where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know like where to get started, start small. One of the women in my Shameless Mom Momentum Mastermind used a really great example of wanting to delegate more at work and wanting to be more direct with people in her office and with the people that worked under her. And it was something that she'd really struggled with because she had always been such a people pleaser and that she struggled with delegation because it was easier to just do things herself. And it was kind of just easier to be passive about things. And so one of the things she practiced throughout the program was speaking up for herself, being a good self-advocate, setting good boundaries, making expectations really clear, reinforcing expectations, delegating more and more. And it was such a game changer for her to feel that sense of power when she put those things in place and basically like built her stage at work so that people knew that like her territory had certain boundaries and certain expectations around it. And they treated her differently accordingly and because of those boundaries and because of the confidence that she ultimately parlayed to them. So this is so important, and it will be so freeing. I'm not saying it will be easy. There will be areas of your life where you will feel more comfortable doing this than in other areas. I can tell you that it's easy for me to take a stage on a social media platform. It is not easy for me to take a stage in family conversations. That's much more uncomfortable to me. It's easy for me to take a stage via email. It's really hard for me to have a confrontation face to face, like really, really hard. I'm not saying I like doing it via email, but at least I feel like I can be a little, more like thoughtful and composed, I get really nervous in face to face interactions. I get nervous to the point of like kind of wanting to just like not engage and just be like, whatever, you can just like have your way and, and win because face to face confrontation is really, really hard for me. So I know where my struggles are in that thing. And so, and I'm really aware, and I, I challenge myself more and more with those as I get older. I recognize that it will be easier for you in some places and harder in other places. And so you want to really look at. Where can you just start practicing these things? Where can you start showing up in these uncomfortable spaces and expanding a little bit? That can be really, really powerful. So to kind of culminate this and to bring it all back together, I think it's really important that you try in whatever that might look like for you and recognize that it could get really messy. And like you might choke over yourself and trip over your words and cry and it might be snotty and that's all okay. But on the other side of that is something like Megan's experience where you can write, you can say, Oh, my gosh, I just did this thing. And it was hard and scary and overwhelming and emotional. But holy crap, I just did this. And I feel so good about it. And I would have never done this a year ago. Like, look at me now. And I'm going to be sharing an experience that I just went through recently with a big transition. And I'll be sharing that next Monday. And That's a lot of what I've been doing as I've worked through this is really kind of gently easing my way into uncomfortable conversations to figure out like, how can I get what I want in doing it in a way that lets everyone around me feel empowered, but also makes it really clear that I have some boundaries around what I need for myself and where things need to go for me. So I'll be talking more about that next Monday. If you follow me on Instagram, there's already been some announcements about that. So you can, you'll get the scoop over there and you can follow me at the Shameless Mom Academy. Also, I'll give a little shout out for my Instagram stories. If you want to get the sassier side of Sarah, you can follow my Instagram stories because sometimes I feel like on the podcast, I want to keep things really practical and really like I want you to get really good tactical things you can implement. And I don't feel like there's a lot of room to be sassy and silly. So I do that on Instagram stories. So if you want to see that, that's where I get super sarcastic. And sarcasm is like my favorite language. So and I don't always get the opportunity to express that on the podcast. So that's where you can find that piece is if you go to the shameless mom academy on Instagram. And I've been really using that as my like sarcastic outlet in my Instagram stories. So Thank you for spending time with me today in the Shameless Mom Academy. I always appreciate you being here. If this episode was helpful, take a screenshot and tag me in it at the Shameless Mom Academy and share it out to people who you think might wanna build their own stage Or if you just want to get the word out about what's going on in the LDS community and that there is this battle around protecting these kids and that not everyone sees eye to eye, which sounds a little crazy to me because why would we not protect children when there's 900 stories of abuse out there? If you want to get the word out about that, you can share this episode and you can share the link to the Facebook group that I will have or to the Facebook page to protect LDS children. That's all over in the show notes. So... If this is your first time listening to the show, know that we're here every Monday and Wednesday. On Wednesday, I'm back with a new interview. I can't wait for that. And I can't wait to spend more time with you. When you come here every Monday and Wednesday, there's always new, great free content, something that you can learn from, something that you can put into action right away. So make sure you subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. And you can do that by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash review, and that will drop you into our Apple podcast portal. And you can click on the subscribe button, you can click on write a review and leave us a review. Oh my gosh, I'm getting like new reviews every day. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. My reviews are my ratings. It helps keep the show highly ranked. It helps attract more shameless moms so that more of us can be connected, which is so key to this whole process. So I really appreciate you all helping me build the community. Thank you for spending time with me today. I adore you. I think you're a badass. I think you're already shameless, but I want you to become more shameless. So go out there, build your stage. And no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly.